welcome to the Minko podcast. I have a number of heaters, engineers, and product managers here to talk about a very cool product that we have called Smart Heat. I have Paula Fief, who's the engineering manager. I have Joe Wagner and Jack Stangle, who are design engineers in Thermal Solutions. And I have Brian Williams and Steve Romslow, who are product managers in Thermal Solutions. And I am John Batestel. I'm a marketing associate, and I'm producing this podcast. So, uh, Brian, why don't you get us started off by talking about uh, kind of giving us the, the history of Minko. Sure. Thanks, John. Um, so, Minko, we are a privately held company that's been in business uh, since, you know, 1956 for 62 years. Uh, we have three main product lines of heaters, which we refer to as te- uh, thermal solutions, uh, temperature sensors and control, and also flex circuits. And, uh, you know, we bring all of those technologies many times together uh, to give a customer a solution that is heating, sensing, control, and interconnects. And the new product that we're talking to today is, is similar in that it's a, uh, it's a heater and controlling type uh, device, but it's all done through the materials itself. So you don't have to have any separate electronics uh, you just plug and go um, with with the heater, and it heats up, and it will control for you. So uh, we're pretty excited about it. It's a brand new product that we launched uh, about a year ago, and uh, we're we're seeing some good adoption uh, in the market. Before we start talking about smart heat, Brian, maybe you could mention more about uh, our facilities, like what what kind of services we offer, and and like our 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 factories that we have. Sure. Um, so Minko is. We're about 650 people worldwide, and our main headquarters is in uh, Fridley, Minnesota, which is just north of uh, Minneapolis, not too far from uh, downtown Minneapolis, about 15 minutes. Uh, We have three uh, main manufacturing sites in Minnesota. It's about 300,000 square feet of manufacturing space for all three of our product lines. Uh, We also have uh, design engineering, customer service, sales, and manufacturing in the south of France. Um, We have approximately 50 people employed in that location. Uh, We have uh, engineering and customer service in Toulouse. And just a little further south in a smaller town called Aston is where our manufacturing site is. Uh, We also have sales, engineering, and customer service in Japan, Singapore, and in uh, China, along with uh, kind of a startup manufacturing site that we're doing in uh, Beijing, China. And and having our own factories means that we we can design for manufacturability and bring our creations all the way through the process from design to prototyping to to manufacturing. Yeah, that's, that's definitely true. I mean, we we do have a strong upfront engineering team that does a lot of concepts uh, to help our customers, but we're not really uh, into just doing des- design engineering services. We're really designing so that we can get that prototype, build it, and we because we do mass production as well, when we're building that first-time prototype, that one-of-a-kind custom build, we are putting a lot of thought into what it would take to build that in mass production that hopefully if our customers like what we do for them that we move along from that prototyping into the mass production in one of our sites uh, for for production either being here in the u.s 
or in France or in China. So new product introduction is one of our strengths. Definitely. Uh, so when we talk about new product introduction, there's kind of two things. So we have with our current products, we have, uh, you know, we do over 200 to 300 types of new custom designs. And those, as, as I mentioned, are kind of one of a kind. And we work through a new product introduction for that kind of that existing technology. And then we also have brand new platforms, you know, never been uh, launched in, into the industry, similar to Smart Heat that we're talking about today, where we're constantly trying to come up with new and novel products uh, that fit with our customers' needs. So that's that's 200 to 300 per year. Is that what you were saying, Brian? In the actual the design yeah, the of the part design. numbers? Correct. The engineering team is, I mean, it, as you kind of mentioned, uh, we, we do manufacture our own products. We, des, we design and manufacture. Um, I, I do consider Minco an engineering company. I mean, we have over 100 of, uh, employees of the, the 600 plus people that we have here are in the engineering team uh, and they're focused on, on working directly with customers but also um, you know tr trying to reduce costs and reduce scrap and then uh, you know kind of expanding product lines as, as, as an, a, an example of that. So, yeah, um, so one of the examples of our our focus on these new products is is this investigating and and qualifying smart heat and you know creating a product around it can you tell us how that got started well from a from a kind of a front end this is uh, brian the product manager from a front end uh, side of things we were continually going out to our customers uh, particularly uh, in the aerospace market but uh, uh, this uh, product line has got some good feedback from other industries but in the aerospace, they're always looking for something that's lighter, um, and so they want something thin and flexible, which is what the smart heat uh, technology is. Uh, they would like to try to get rid of other electronics, not only saving you know space and weight, but also when you add electronics and add other connections, that uh, reduces the reliability. And you know, for that industry, we're designing things to last a minimum of 20 years uh, in, in serviceable life. And so, you know, being able to do everything with the uh, with the material itself uh, was really uh, one of the requirements that we, on the front end of the business, kind of put back into engineering. And engineering was looking at several technologies uh, before they hit upon uh, the smart heat technology that we're talking to you today about. So I think that, you know you have voice of customer that we currently work with uh, before we had this product that you know as you mentioned Brian, but then there's also you know new emerging markets that that Minco hasn't historically been st strong in. Uh, you know you, you get a lot more smaller satellites uh, lately and a lot more battery powered applications. Uh, Things that yeah, are not just up into not the just in atmosphere. and not just in aerospace, but aerospace for batteries. But yeah. we're seeing a lot of other lithium-ion battery applications as well. Mm -hmm. So when you say small satellites, do, are we talking about like CubeSats? Yeah, so that for sure that uh, uh, Europe and the U.S. as well as India, China, Japan, uh, all over all over the world, they're launching more and more smaller satellites to create uh, web networks, uh, other other things. So. Yeah, we, we, that, 
that affects MinCo. We've historically been in, in, in satellite launch uh, applications, and we, um, uh, you know, the, as that grows, we're, you know, and, and as the number of applications in satellites grows, um, MinCo's affected by that, so, for sure. So, and smart heat is, in addition to being like thin and flexible, it's, it's lighter, right? Because it doesn't need control electronics, it doesn't need sensors necessarily, right? Right, that's one of the, the primary benefits that it sort of brings to the table. Instead of uh, having to pair it with a, a sensor for feedback, having that additional lead wire bundle uh, present, having a controller to actually respond, it's all one thin flexible package that uh, takes care of sensing, heating, controlling. Um, all together really helps to save on weight. So what was that, Jack, when we when we just took the the smart heat heater and we weighed just a traditional like a three by three by five inch heater and then you took a three by five inch traditional capped on heater with a sensor and a and a little small controller that Minico manufactures? I mean wasn't it like one was like two pounds and one's just a few ounces, right? <laughs> Uh, it really comes down to the, the type of control that, that we're replacing or, or trying to, um, to beat. And for the most part, the, the heater circuit itself is going to be the same. It might be a, a few grams. Um, but you're able to typically eliminate a sensor that might be another couple grams and a controller that could be anywhere from a few grams to a, a pound or more. And it gets, gets pretty extensive in certain cases. And not having those, uh, those electronics uh, reduces the, the chance of failure, right? Like the reliability of the system. Yep. Um, anytime we can cut uh, an, a, one or two points of failure out of a system, any type of interconnect, that's a, that's a win. Um, so if, uh, if risk uh, or safety is a concern, then um, switching to a Smart Heat product or designing for Smart Heat in the first place could, could certainly help from that uh, standpoint. And a lot of these high reliabil reliability <laughs> applications, it's not just controller that you're eliminating or the control itself, but there's relays, there's uh, data logging, there's fault uh, uh, error checking for the sensor, you know, there, a lot of times there's multiple sensors that are compared to each other, um, and the types of sensors that are that are qualified for these aerospace applications are are, are sometimes pretty bulky, uh, so there's there's a the whole, it's a whole system that um, that you're, you're replacing uh, many connections, uh, many, many different uh, uh, elements to the control system that you know that that go away. So, and another way that they're reliable is that um, there's uh, less risk of something catastrophic happening if it gets damaged. Right, the like the delamination of the heater uh, does not add to the risk of an overheat. Sure, absolutely. The one of the the primary um, failure modes that we we see with traditional technologies with with resistive heaters. Um, is that if the, a portion of it becomes delaminated or, or removed from the heatsink, there's a potential to overheat um, and damage other, other items in the, in the system. Um, so with smart heat, the benefit that it brings is um, any portion that uh, delaminates or comes off of a heatsink um, is going to effectively self-tune or self-regulate uh, and stay at the same set point as anything connected to it. So it's a built-in safety mechanism that um, really helps to, to sort of have peace of mind in the field. Um, even if something does go catastrophically wrong with the system mechanically, from a thermal standpoint, we're protected. Well, yeah, maybe now is a good time to kind of talk about the, how it works, why it doesn't need a controller, how it senses, so people get an idea of how this material uh, functions. Sure. That's, uh, um, 
the controlling mechanism is really built into the actual heating element, and that's what uh, gives it the ability to actually tune at every point on the heated surface. So where a traditional heater would have a single point or maybe two or three points of feedback, um, a smart heater is actually sensing at every point along the surface of the heater. And the controlling mechanism behind it um, actually ties back to a few different things. Uh, the primary thing is, is thermal expansion. So as a, as a heater warms up, um, there's a, a natural reaction that the materials in it will expand. And uh, we've been able to sort of program in a response that as the heater expands, it also throttles back its power output. So there's a relationship between that thermal expansion, uh, the resistance changing, and then the power output changing as a result of that. Um, altogether, it means that the, uh, the system will um, self-tune without anything additional, no, no additional input is needed from, from the user. But the, the magic, I guess, is the, is the smart heat layer that's a, a silico silicone layer that's got a lot of carbon yep. inside um, of it? Yeah, so the, it's, it's a bit unusual. Um, normally, silicone is a, an insulator. We actually use it in one of our product lines as a, a dielectric layer to, to protect the element. Um, but in this case, we're actually adding uh, conductive carbon particles to the silicone to make it conductive and uh, allow it to act as um, a heating element. So it's the silicone um, generating the heat, and because silicone has such a high rate of thermal expansion, um, it's able to, to self-tune and self-regulate. And that's a pretty thin layer? Uh, yep, it's, it's a little bit thicker than you might imagine our, our traditional heaters. Um, and we can, we can make heaters down in the 2-3 uh, mil range if we're trying to get extremely thin and flexible. Um, smart heat is a little thicker, but still certainly in the flex range. Uh, a typical construction is going to be about 12 to 13 uh, mils in, in thickness. So the carbon particles, are, they're in there and they're, they're used to conduct electricity. Um, so are they like they're they're sitting in there in the in the silicon matrix and they're they're kind of touching each other? They're how do they how do they conduct electricity from point to point or or throughout the the volume of the material? It's a it's a mixture. So if you imagine that the silicone has carbon um, mixed and sort of evenly spread throughout the the layer, um, sometimes they're going to be touching very close together. Other times there are gaps between the carbon. And uh, really the mechanism that allows it to, to function is, is quantum tunneling. So the, the gaps that exist between those carbon particles, there's a, a potential that's needed in order to, to cross the gap. And uh, it's by means of quantum tunneling that we can effectively jump between carbon particles and create um, something that's uh, conductive out of what's typically a, an insulator. So how do we get the, how do you get the the energize. How do you energize it? What's the what's the mechanism or the means? Because we talked about this silicone layer with carbon in it. How does the electricity get to the different carbon? Right, and that, that comes down to how we design the circuit um, in house. So the the silicone layer isn't the the only layer in the circuit. There's also a layer of copper, um, a conductive uh, uh, pattern essentially that's laid on top of the silicone. And that's where we deliver the, the potential, the, the voltage to, to the heating element. So when you look at it, it, it may appear like a, a typical traditional heater with a, um, an element that sort of winds back and forth. Um, but in reality, it's a, it's a number of parallel heaters that are all sort of intertwined together. Um, it's, a, it's a very unique design, uh, design frame. 
So it's a, a bus bar, essentially, right? Yep, that, exactly. It's, it's a bus bar. And if one of those elements gets damaged, the others will still function, right? Correct. So if in the case of a physical damage, we, you know, we certainly don't want to um, recommend or advocate damage in, in the field, but if something were to happen to a heater and something uh, damaged one of those uh, elements, the other ones continue to, to function um, as normal. So it's, uh, it's able to withstand um, certain damage in the field and still, still function properly. So we touched on some of the applications, like the uh, thermal stabilization of like satellites. What, what are some other things that you can use smart heat for? Well, I think that one of the bigger ones is battery heating. So as uh, the world is using more and more batteries in drones, autonomous vehicles, autonomous cars, they're all running off of lithium-ion batteries, which do not function well below, I think, around zero C. So in those cases, they want to put a heater on it. And Smart Heat works really well for that because you can put a 20C set point heater onto it and it'll maintain those batteries at 20C and not allow them to go below that so they'll continue to function. Um, and the risk of you know, overheating or causing a fire is much lower with Smart Heat. Traditional heater, uh, it's gonna have a set watts per square inch or a set watt density, so if it delaminates, or comes off of the heat sink, could overheat, could burn up, could quit. But a smart heat, if it delaminates that heater, still wants to stay at 20 degrees. So you've reduced uh, that risk. So highly reliable in those applications. So what kind of uh, temperature accuracy have we have we been able to see uh, on on different smart heat applications? So what is the material able to do as far as accuracy? So we, we try to evaluate it um, case by case. But in, in general, when uh, we're manufacturing these, we see about plus or minus five degrees um, centigrade as we uh, inspect them. We actually power each heater um, at end of line inspection before shipping it, so we get a, a true thermal reading on the, the surface of the heater. Um, now when it's actually placed in application, there, there is some impact from, from the environment, from the, the heat sink itself. Um, so we try to account for that during, during manufacturing. Um, and so that any offset that's introduced by the, the environment can be compensated for. Um, but in general, plus or minus five. Um, some applications we may um, choose to increase that a bit for extreme uh, conditions, but we, we take that case by case. And you can design it to be a certain temperature, so you don't have like, you know, three temperature options. You have, you have granularity with, you know, for a set point? Yeah, there's uh, a couple different levers that we can, can pull uh, when we're manufacturing these. The, uh, the biggest lever um, is actually the raw material itself, and that goes back to the, the carbon loading that we were talking about earlier. Um, by introducing more or less carbon, we can create some pretty dramatic shifts in the set point for the heater. Um, but there's a, a few other sort of fine-tuning uh, levers as well. We can adjust the, the strand pattern on the heater. Um, to some degree, we can adjust the supply voltage if that's an option. Um, so it, it comes down to, to the application. But I, I think, at least in my experience so far with, uh, with this technology, the, uh, the things that we talk about to our traditional, with our traditional heaters, to our engineering audience, where we're talking about specking it at plus or minus five degrees C or tighter or looser and putting that tolerance down, is, is somewhat doesn't apply 100% to the smart heat because the smart heat the material itself is kind of an animal of the environment and, and the load that it's in. So usually when we're talking to our customers, we're trying to say, what are you trying to, 
accomplish? What's your what's your performance that you're trying to accomplish? Oh, I'm just trying to keep these electronics above 20 degrees C. Okay, so that's that's one thing that we can accommodate with the, with the material and with the design. And then the other thing we try to talk about is where does bad things happen? You know, in your system. You know, oh, I I don't want it to go above 80 degrees C anytime because there's some plastics or something that's adjacent to the heater that might melt. So then we kind of get that bandwidth to say, we well, can design something for you that will give you the performance that you want, and we'll design something that will not have anything bad happen in your system. And we try to get away from really specking in that plus or minus tolerance because it varies once it leaves our facility. You know, as Jack was saying, it, at end of line, it's plus or minus five degrees C. But then once it gets out in the field, if it's being put on a big, huge, cold uh, load and the heater is a little bit undersized, well, now things kind of change a little bit. But uh, we can still design to make sure that that load gets up to that performance temperature and never gets uh, above anything, any temperature that might have some bad stuff happen to it, if that makes sense. Sure. So one, another use of smart heat, um, taking advantage of not needing a controller or sensor is de-icing an automatic system like a sensor on an airplane where it keeps it free of ice. Can you guys uh, give some, some examples of how we've done that, to, like for airplanes? Well, sure. Sure. I mean, that definitely is uh, not just airplanes, but we've been, we've been doing it on any type of optical system. Um, you know, it, it can be on an airplane, in the cockpit with, uh, you know, if they want to have all their displays, you know, kept warm and never and never go down uh, cold in temperatures. We've got security cameras that we've been working on. Um, it's not so much uh, uh, lenses, but we also are heating floor panels in aircraft to try to keep the galleys nice and warm. Is there um, a headrest too? Yep, there's, you know, well, it's not only just, I think headrests is one, but uh, there's some nice business class planes in the future that are going to have your neck warmers, arm warmers, and different things that uh, hopefully will have smart heat uh, providing the, the heat in those applications as well. Yeah, and I think we've done some prototyping on wastewater, so the gray water system in aircraft too, to keep it from freezing up if it's near the skin of the aircraft. Great application for that because it can vary the power with the flow rate and the temperature. I think Jack touched on it too, that I don't know if we talked about it, but at least to me what's cool uh, is in a lot of our applications, our, our customers have to come up with some pretty sophisticated control you know, algorithms to uh, predict and uh, anticipate changes in, you know, in, in a dynamic situation. If, uh, if uh, windows or doors in a, a device are opening up and, uh, and there's some inrush of cold air, some electronics needs to anticipate that. And that sometimes takes a long time to design by our customers and also uh, you know, can get pretty expensive. Whereas the, the smart heat heaters have that built in into the material. So it will automatically you know, sense that something is changing in a certain segment of the uh, of the heater, and it will automatically anticipate that and start making changes. So you get that self-tuning, I think, is what uh, Jack referred to it before, built into the materials, which I think is is pretty revolutionary. 
Uh, one other thing I think is pretty cool or hot, whatever. <laughs> um, is uh, is that uh, the material will produce an extreme amount of power at low temperatures uh, for the de-icing applications. You know, it'll uh, because of uh, because of its self-limiting nature that you know it obviously it's not producing very much power at the set point just enough to maintain the temperature but but uh that 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 uh, increases kind of almost exponentially as you don't go down in temperature away from its set point so um so very fast de-icing but then you know safely uh leveling off at a control temperature so our other uh, traditional heaters don't really do that they uh, you know, the, even even the ones that do have uh, you know temperature coefficients that are much uh, much shallower of a curve, so they don't they don't quite have that boost at the at the low temperatures. So um, that's I think that that uh, for some customers and, and some applications that gives us uh, us an advantage. And isn't another um, application that takes advantage of that? that stability is like medical devices, like um, stabilizing like reagent trays or something. Well, I think, you know, the one thing, and we touched on it earlier, is that the, the smart heat heaters are kind of more in that uh, area that's kind of bulk heating. It's not overly precise heating. And so in medical, in many of the, uh, you know, the actual where the diagnostics and the analyzing is happening, where they are looking for plus or minus, you know, one degree C, plus or minus half a degree C, or something very, very precise. Uh, those fit really well for Minco's technologies where we make a etch foil heater and we might embed a thermistor or put an RTD temperature sensor and give that feedback. But you are correct, John, when, when uh, before you get into that diagnostics area, there's lots of fluids that need to be preheated before they go into the area that needs very high precision, and we have had success in on bulk heating reagents or heating uh, fluid that might be going through pipes that are feeding into the uh, into the application. There's also been some with patient comfort, and then also um, you know uh, evaporation. Yeah, the, the respiratory. Um, yeah, where where there's maybe there's a. Uh, anesthesia or some other um, chemical that's being uh, delivered by a gas where you're trying to um, nebulize and then vaporize or, or evaporate liquid. Yep. I think even Joe and I had gone to, uh, to talk to a customer about, about an application like that. And, and those are, you know, it, it needs to be at least some, you know, temperature above at you know the atmosphere but it's uh you know the, the ceiling is is still pretty high so you have a uh, a window there where you can have a little bit looser uh, temperature <coughs> control that that works well and but, but some of these are not there are applications that minco has been involved in a little bit but uh you know and the the, the stair there the traditional uh minco strength has been in the in the very uh, accurate control um, and uh, of you know controlling um, the temperature of blood or reagents but you know as we're, we start to talk to these medical customers they say well you know we're happy with uh, the heater control or sensor that you produce for, for uh, you know the the plate that has the most critical element of, of this on it but we've got six or seven other applications we use 
you know, PTC ink or we use um, just a board with some resistors on it or something like that. And we don't, you know, we don't really like that or, or you know, there's, there's not much safety planned into those things. So, you know, we, we start to talk about, to them about different applications. Uh, Yep. yep. So, what are we looking at for the future of smart heat? What, what in the next year? What, what are some things that we hope to do with it, or enhancements to the product, or new applications? Anything that we can share? Well, I know from from my perspective. Well, two things. You know, when we first launched the uh, the smart heat product line, we had basically two set point or safety temperatures. And we got a lot of feedback, and they were, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Jack or Joe, but it was like 50 degrees C and 60 degrees Celsius, I believe, were the two kind of safety points. So they were higher, higher temperatures. Uh, but we got a lot of feedback from the market that uh, if we could come up with a material that was cooler, like 20 degrees C or more around room temperature, that would, uh, you know, have a lot more application and also it would save on some of the power budgets uh, that our customers have and so we did develop that new you know safety temperature and so there might be some more development around different temperatures that are that are to come um, we've also been working with trying to you know do different types of interconnects um, right now we are mainly doing the traditional welding and and hookup lead wires but uh, being able to put uh, thin flexible flex circuits and using that part of our product line and marry that with smart heat is uh, something that we're looking forward to. I think it's really interesting the way somebody could prototype this. Like if they buy the catalog heaters, the smart heat heaters off the catalog, and then they want to vary the temperature, like Jack, what's the best way to do that if they could vary the voltage or how does that work? Yeah, that, that gets into um, sort of a, an iterative design approach. So one. One thing that we, we try to do is either sell um, uh, multiple set points um, so that we can do some prototyping in the field and determine which, which set point is appropriate. Or if we need to, to have a, a single um, prototype on the first run, um, we can also uh, do some design uh, tweaking using a, a variac, just a, a variable power supply in, in the lab or in the field. Um, there's a, a pretty straightforward way to um, design or redesign a prototype uh, just by varying the voltage and observing how the heater responds. Um, in general, they're very immune to the voltage changes. That's one of its benefits. But we can get some um, adjustment in temperature um, by increasing or decreasing voltage. And so to add to that, you're saying that if, if the customer were to buy a catalog heater that's 12 volts, they operate and say this gets their object to 50C, but they want to be at 60C. They can increase that voltage to say something around 14 or 15 where they end up at this higher temperature. Then we could take that heater and redesign the strand pattern or the formulation and give them a heater that operates nominally at 50 at 12 volts. Yep, exactly. So the, the first, first build is sort of a, a trial proof of concept and then usually on the second build we can um, really nail the, the set point with our design. Uh, and Johnny had asked a question about what are we trying to do this year, and I had, had a couple other thoughts on that. Okay. Uh, one is to educate our customers, get the word out. I think that's been that's what we're doing right now. That's and, right. And uh, um, and because I, I think uh, those that we have approached and those that have found our, our uh, have taken some samples from us, or that ordered uh, some out of our catalog are 
are really interested. Um, they're considering new product lines that might be able to, to launch. They're, they're rethinking their problem. Um, so I, I think getting the word out and then having our customers really understand there's, there's, some, there's some differences. You know, customers come to us saying, I want this wattage and I want this temperature and, and you know, kind of steering the conversation back to, well, what is the problem that you're trying to solve? Um, and and, uh, and 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 uh, getting this product in their hand. So that, and then once they they like it, um, you know, and, and we're trying to make the design to fit their application, getting our design tools uh, more predictive. So testing all kinds of different uh, you know applications, uh, heater heaters. Um, in an environment similar to what our customers are have on similar heat loads that our customers have and, and generating a bunch of content for them to, to share with their customers so they are, are convinced uh, that, that it's worth investing their time in. And I think there's you mentioned some of the the design tools, and I think you know to be fair there's there's a there's some challenges with the technology that we're still trying to understand and, and, and work around, you know, and for the future, we've, you know, for some very sensitive uh, systems, we we have had some feedback around some inrush current issues that we're working to understand and trying to be able to come up with solutions to solve that so we can uh, uh, fit those applications and those customers with the right smart heat solution. Uh, and there's also, you know, we, we touched on voltage earlier before, and uh, there are some applications that are coming our way, principally in, uh, in you know, defense and, and military that where they're looking for well below 9-volt uh, power supplies. And uh, right now, uh, the quantum tunneling that uh, Jack referred to before isn't, I, isn't, I guess, ideal or predictable when you go below nine volts, and so we're we're kind of looking to try to solve that as well for the for the future. So that inrush current issue that you mentioned is that is that something that we're worried about uh, for our customers, or is that something our customers perceive as a as a problem, and we're trying to to yeah. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a well. I mean, Jack, you can jump in, but it. There's a little of both. I think you know the customers have a, a valid concern, but uh, you know again they kind of go back to thinking about a traditional heater. But this heater, when it's put into cold environments, say minus 55 degrees C, and there's a lot of current that's available, uh, it will draw that current immediately, all of it, which there's that in that big inrush current. But it, but it also immediately starts throttling back. So at least our, our opinion is that even in really you know, sensitive s- situations, that those systems won't even react fast enough to know that, 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 that it's pulling that amount of current. Um, so there is some perception issues and some education that we have to do, but then there have been a couple of solution uh, sol- uh, applications coming our way where we we said, "Oh, okay. We might have to add some electronics to the smart heat to try to to try to throttle back that uh, that current draw." Yeah, Joe, you had an application you were you were trying to look at different solutions for that. Do you uh, for train rush current? Yeah, um, that, that some things that would mitigate the you know 
what what would be what the power supply or or their overall system would be exposed to. Right. So in in some cases, you know, either the circuit breaker or the fuse trips based on the energy that that component is seeing, and not so much the current going through it. So in when in these cold temperatures, when the current draws such a short duration. Uh, that small duration means there's not actually a lot of energy going into the component. And many times if you're drawing a current that's normally above the rating of your circuit breaker or fuse, uh, it won't actually react because of what Brian was saying about the timing. So in those cases where the duration is too long um, or it is a real problem, we have uh, looked into and tried a few different things to limit that inrush current. Uh, one of those things uh, would be an NTC resistor, which are inline pancake resistor style components um, that can help reduce the initial current draw. And they have the opposite effect of smart heat in, in, in essence, where their curve starts with a very low resistance or very high resistance and then lowers out as temperature increases. So you get sort of a bell shape on the PTC curve where you're able to uh, isolate inrush current at the input uh, at the start of operation and still reach um, target temperature in, a, in, a, in the desired amount of time. Uh, other things we've tried, uh, for AC circuits there's options to put together uh, circuits with inductors um, that can help limit those, those inrush currents as well. We've done some simulations on that and actually are working on a test for that right now. So. Um, we're excited to see the results for that. We do have options to address um, startup current if and when it becomes a concern. And these are usually for, I mean, this inrush concern is really for temp uh, customers that have applications that are very, very cold. Very cold, yes. And that, that the, the systems have, you know, there, there's, a, there's some kind of specification or some uh, issue with with exceeding a certain set. And when you say very cold, it's like below it's like, minus yeah, 40 negative 60, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So if we're, if we're starting from room temperature, it's typically never a concern. Your inrush is maybe up to two amps, depending on how large the heater is. Mm -hmm. um, so yes, very cold temperature is where that comes into play more often. Sure. Well, any last thoughts on smart heat before we finish up? Jack? <laughs> Come on, Jack. Uh, Just. <laughs> Smart heat. Yeah, Chris Eisenberg in here. <laughs> we, well, should we end well, I with think, us all yelling smart heat? <laughs> well, from the last thought, I mean, uh, it, it's being little, uh, little salesy, but we talked about prototyping and such, uh, and some people that are listening on the podcast probably don't know that Minco does have a, an online e-commerce site. Uh, that's MincoComponents.com. And we do have a, a wide array of smart heat heaters amongst other heaters that are on that site that uh, are in stock and ready for you guys to prototype. And then if there's anything uh, size-wise or something that needs to be added to that, uh, to that list of uh, catalog parts, we're, as we're developing, we certainly can add things that are missing uh, along the way. So we would love to hear, hear back from our customers uh, what they need.